I'm Jessica, and this is Homecoming, finding yourself in life's little moments. Hi, dear listener. It's an evening here in Australia, and I'm making this podcast from my my little apartment. It's a rainy, cold, very windy night, and so it's far more pleasant to be inside than to be out, and uh, there were things that were really coming to my mind. So this podcast is one that has come from some reflection, inner reflection and inner questioning and inner experiences. So earlier today, I was looking through some of my photographs, and for many, many years, I've enjoyed photography. I started when I was very young. I was actually probably 11 or 12, and uh, and loved photographing the daffodils in our garden or the poplar trees reaching up towards the sky in our backyard the leaves of the maple. I love photographing these things, the lilies of the valley as they carpeted the lawn behind our house. So I would walk around and find myself captivated by these expressions of natural beauty. I'll always remember photographing the daffodils. It would be April when they'd come up and the sun would be shining through their yellow and white petals, creating this beautiful translucence and glow. And I was photographing only in black and white, but nonetheless, I think that the images really were able to convey what I was attracted to in the natural world around me and why I was attracted to it. So I've been photographing for a long time. It was actually my photography was actually my major in college. And through all these years, I've kept it up in one form or another. And over the last sort of more recent few years, I began to become attracted to photographing, especially insects. And I lived in a place in western Massachusetts before I moved here to Australia. I lived in this place that was just full of insects of all sorts. There was a neighbor who kept bees, and those bees would delight in the flowers that grew around the house in which I lived. And there were dragonflies and all sorts of wonderful bugs (laughs) flying and crawling. So I enjoy photographing insects, and I have for a few years now. And I was looking on my computer, I was looking through my files, And I was looking at some of those insect photographs of bees, particularly. And I was looking, dear listener, at one or two particular images of the bees as they were nestled in to the flowers, to the petals, sort of a clump of of beautiful pink and white blossoms. And as I was looking at that image, these images that I'd found and was gazing upon again, I started to feel an enormous pang of sadness and grief 
And I realized that I was feeling that because I was so struck with how beautiful these images were and are. I was so struck with the quality of the images. And it was something that I had kind of lost touch with, actually. When I looked at them again, I thought, oh my gosh, these images are really beautiful. There's a quality in these images that I can sense as I'm looking at them. And I began to feel this sadness, dear listener, because I began to realize that I don't identify myself with the person who was taking those photographs, who took those B photographs, who'd created these images that had a beautiful quality to them. I realized as I was looking at those images that I don't reside in that place in myself. I don't identify with that place. I don't walk around feeling myself full of that place, that quality, that person, that persona, that ability to see the world like that, sense the world like that and capture it and bring it forward with some kind of incredibly beautiful sensibility, a beautiful way, you know? So as I'm saying this, I feel like I'm somebody who's looking back at myself, looking at what I've created, and admiring in the strange way what I've created with this kind of sadness, because I realize, oh my gosh, those images are so beautiful. And that sadness, I think, comes from the fact that over the course of my life, some of the people who have been closest to me, people in my own family, people to whom I've been married, you know, I've been married more than once, have, for whatever reason, turned their ire their anger, whatever they're carrying in themselves, their inner pain, hurts, frustrations, they've turned it against me. They've attacked me. They've hurt me. They've accused me. They've done all manner of awful things. And this is what I'm talking about has really taken place over really almost my entire life. There is a saying that goes like this, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. But dear listener, the fact is that it's actually not true. Sticks and stones, yes, can do enormous damage to a person physically, but names and insults, and accusations, and blame, and all sorts of awful things that have no ground in reality, when they're inflicted upon another person, cause enormous harm. I was very struck a few months ago to read an article that I happened to come across, that in the United Kingdom, somebody who does those kinds of things, and the name for that 
legally they're calling that kind of infliction of, of pain and hurt that one person might do to another, a kind of infliction that's not quote-unquote physical, but is very, very destructive nonetheless. What that's called is coercive control. And in the UK recently, relatively recently, they're actually prosecuting cases of that, which I was just astounded by, because I'd lived my whole life under the scepter of that awfulness. So when I was looking at my B photos, you know, and I was looking and sort of almost as if, as if I was looking at somebody else's images, somebody else's artwork, and going, oh my gosh, there's a quality there. There's a quality, and it's so beautiful. I was as if taking myself in hand, you know, taking my own hand, holding myself in the light of that recognition and feeling just enormous pain. Because what happens, you see, dear listener, when you go through something like that, when you're subjected for no fault of your own to that kind of intense aggression and hurt and attack is that you do what happens to someone who undergoes and is victimized by physical assault. You kind of become, in order to survive, you compartmentalize the experience in a very weird way. You retreat and hide and also kind of step aside from yourself. You, you're beside yourself. You move out of yourself. People who have experienced enormous trauma often have, often exhibit various symptoms of dissociation. That's not because they're mentally ill or suffer from some pathology. You see, the important thing is that that's what they had to do in order to survive what was done to them. Now, it's interesting because just yesterday there was an article I noticed in the New York Times, and it talked about this particular sort of habitual behavior that has to do with picking at one's skin. Now, I took note of that because that's something that I started to do when I was very, very young. But what struck me about that article wasn't just that they were recounting various circumstances or various, you know, talk, telling stories of various individuals who, would, who do this kind of behavior, you know, picket their skin. What struck me was that nowhere in the article did they in any way discuss what had happened to any of those individuals that would have led, resulted, in any of those individuals doing what they did. So you see, it's as if there's an entire world that's hidden from the light of day, and all one is paying attention to is the surface manifestation and symptom 
of all of what actually had happened way back, you know. It's very weird. We don't seem to really trace our experience back to those early days, to whatever it is that's happened to us, and say, oh, of course, I do this, I feel this, I'm like this, naturally, because this is how I've I've adapted to what's been done to me. So when I was looking at those B photos, dear listener, you see, it made me very sad. Because what I realized is that I'd lost myself. I'd lost myself because of what had been inflicted upon me, which was untold instances of blame, of angry assault, of accusation. And it went on and on. Character frankly, assassination. It reminds me that um, when I left my marriage three and a half years ago, I was really blessed to be housed, to find shelter, really, at a place called the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy, which is a very sacred and beautiful place in western Massachusetts, which is where I was living. And I'd often go there to pray. I played music at some of their large events. And I knew some of the priests there and the people there. And um, I'd also, through the love of this woman who had come into my life when I was eight, had been inspired to actually become baptized into the Catholic Church. So... That was where my prayer life began, was in that place because I lived just down the street from it when I began to realize that the same thing that attracted me to this woman, beautiful person whom I wrote my memoir about, attracted me to continuing to experience the kind of faith that I saw her feel and express and experience. So I had a very strong connection with that with that place, that national shrine of the Divine Mercy. I'll always remember speaking to one of the priests there, a young priest. He had been giving a talk about something, and afterwards, as he was leaving, I went outside because something really kind of struck me about something he'd said in his talk. And I went over, and it was late afternoon. It was a beautiful late August afternoon, And I I kind of motioned to him because I had a question for him. And it had to do with something that he said about the commandment, thou shall not kill. And what he had said in this talk that he'd given is he said that that commandment doesn't just apply killing another person physically. That commandment applies to everything that I just described to you a moment ago, dear listener. It has to do with assault on another person verbally, emotionally, psychologically, what they call smear campaigns where you malign a person to others, where you try to destroy their reputation, where you really try to destroy them. 
And I asked the priest about that. I said, you know, I've never actually heard anyone connect that kind of behavior with the commandment, thou shall not, thou shall not kill. And he said, well, he said, when that kind of thing is done to somebody, it is as if it kills them. It is as if it destroys them. It is as if it annihilates them. He used very strong words about it. In the same breath, he could have been talking as much about somebody actually physically killing another person as he was about somebody abusing someone else in the ways that I described. In the way that he said it, it was like in one breath, it was the same thing. So this is the thing, you know, I'll always remember also talking to a woman at the National Domestic Violence Hotline, where a place that I called several times on my journey out of my former life, you know, my marriage and everything. And her saying, you know, we don't yet realize the destructive effect of coercive control, of verbal, emotional, psychological abuse, threats. We're only characterizing, generally speaking, abuse as being physical, but she said, actually, the other can be worse. It can be more insidious, more long-lasting. A person may never emerge fully from it. And I say that really just with an amazingly heavy heart because I sometimes feel like I'm really a walking, wounded person. And as as much as I've achieved over my life, I feel, oh my gosh, how much more, I wonder, could I achieve, you know? Am I really capable of? I mean, I say that and just feel like I want to cry. How much more am I really capable of? I sense that it's heaps and heaps and heaps, as they say down here, down under, heaps. And yet, my experience of seeing, looking again at my B photo told me a lot, which is that I don't reside in that place. I don't identify with that person who created those beautiful images, who's created the music that I've created, who's done all the things that I've done, who's written articles in my memoir, which won an award. I don't walk around feeling myself carrying that, identified with that, because of everything that's been done to me. I'm beside myself. And I don't really know sort of what more exactly to say, except to also say, dear listener, that one of the things that I do when I play the, play music is one of the styles of music that I love so much is the blues. And when I was walking by the ocean this evening, going to get something to eat, thinking about watching, seeing that bee photo, thinking about all of what I'm sharing with you here, I thought to myself, you know, I'm going to make this podcast because what I can do is I can speak. I can share this. I can speak. And for me, 
making this podcast is like playing the blues. And what are the blues? The blues is a kind of music. It's a kind of sound. It's a kind of beautiful harmony and vibration and sequence of chords that when you play it or sing it or dance it, you play the blues and it takes your blues away. It's kind of like magic. It's kind of like a miracle. So I knew I had my words, you know. I knew I, I knew I could do this. It was the most immediate thing I felt I could do, in a way, is to just speak this out. You know, God created us in his image, and the word became flesh, and we have power through our words. We have the power to destroy, as I've experienced firsthand in very unfortunate ways, Words have the power to destroy another human being. We have to realize that. Sticks and stones may break our bones, but names can do enormous damage. The word, our words, are significant. And that's why I felt like I needed to make this podcast, dear listener, because that was what came to me tonight after I looked at my bee photos as I was walking along the edge of the ocean hearing the water crashing in in the dark the ocean's very beautiful at night you feel its power without being able to see it there's something about that the sound of the ocean so sound is really something how we use sound and I just felt for myself that in speaking, I could reunite myself with myself. I could restore myself. I could sing the blues as I spoke now. (laughs) I could speak the blues. I could speak it out. So it's like a reclamation, you know. Saying what happened, it's like reconciling with oneself the truth and reconciliation inside oneself. A dear friend of mine talks about being internally blighted. He's gone through a lot too. A lot. And uh, internally blighted by trauma, by stress, by everything that I experience and have tried to impart to you here internally blighted and yet you know it's interesting because I imagine a blighted cornfield and like a little sprig coming out in the middle of that cornfield like one little sprig sometime on some day when the sun was out and everything was just laid bare But then there was this one little green thing. And those are like my words now. Spoken out from that blighted place. And that one little green thing is a lot. That's what God has allowed me to do, has enabled me to do. Has really has enabled any of us to do is to speak what it is that's happened. And in the speaking out, 
one becomes oneself, whole, reclaimed, there, just there, now, and onward, now and forever, now and onwardly going in these words. So thank you, dear listener, for your kindness in hearing this. I appreciate it. And may God bless you in everything that you do and are and have been through yourself. May God bless you now and always. Bye for now.